Hello? Hello? Who is this? Hello? This is Ann Reddy. Hello? Who's there? I'm talking. Hello? Can you hear me now? Good. Oh, can you hear me now? Maybe that's what we should have entitled this whole series. I like that. Good morning. Oh my, man, man, for 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, we should be way more awake than that. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Turn to somebody near you and say, you look incredible. Do that, would you? You look incredible. Even if they don't, just say it. It's good. It's good. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn them to Malachi, Malachi chapter one, as we begin a new series today called Straight Talk. Straight talk. It is the word of God. It's a call from the Lord from the book of Malachi. And when I say it is straight talk, that's exactly what it is. There's really not pulling any punches as God speaks to his people through the prophet Malachi. It is a direct word, but it actually has direct implications for our lives today. So if you take your Bibles, turn there, that would be great. Chapter 1, verse one. What is it from uh, The Sound of Music? Uh, Maria, she did a song, let's start from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. I don't know why that came to my mind. Anyway, <laughs> if you go back, it wasn't in any of the other services. So anyway, take your, take your Bibles. We're going into Malachi chapter one. And let me just encourage you, over the course of this next five, six weeks together, there are going to be some direct words. Whenever you see a direct word from God, it is not just an accusation. It is always an invitation. God never speaks to his people and simply says, this is what I want you to do, or this is what you're doing wrong. God always looks at us and wants us to come near to him into a vital relationship. And so rather than feeling discouraged, it should always be an encouraging thing to us. Malachi chapter one, verse one, if you have your Bibles, here's what it says. An oracle, say that with me, would you? An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. What is an oracle? Well, an oracle is like a divine phone call. It is a call. It means the word of God for the moment. And Malachi is speaking to the nation of Israel. He is the mouthpiece of God. They are now somewhere about a hundred years removed from the Babylonian captivity. They have gone through 70 years of discipline through the Lord, through the prophet Ezra, the, the, the leader Nehemiah, they have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, they have rebuilt the temple of the Lord, they have restored worship in Israel. They are now about a hundred years post that, and they're kind of wondering, Lord, why aren't we restored to the days of glory that we always experienced previously? Malachi is going to be the last word that you're going to see in the Old Testament before you jump in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. There is going to be a 400-year gap from the time of Malachi to the coming of Jesus Christ. And by the time Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, the people of Israel 
are hungering and they are thirsting to hear from God. This is God's last word in the Old Testament, an oracle. Have you ever wondered what God was thinking? In fact, I don't know if you've ever wondered, you know what, if God wants to get a hold of me so bad, I wish he'd just give me a phone call. Just tell me what to do sometimes. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've felt that way. Man, Lord, just give me a phone call. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just understand God's will that way? I said that in church one time, probably 25 years ago or so. Uh, We were living in Warsaw. I remember I was taking an afternoon nap after the Sunday morning service. Uh, I do that on occasion. (laughs) Wesley will tell you. I do that just about every uh, Sunday afternoon. And uh, we had finished up church in the morning. I was home in the afternoon. I had said in the morning service, don't you wish sometimes God would just give you a call? I think we were talking about the will of God. And uh, I got a phone call, and that's back when we didn't have, you know, we didn't have uh, uh, cell phones yet. In fact, I don't even think we had caller ID. And our home phone rang, and I picked it up. I had a very fancy, it was a wireless. I picked it up, and I said, hello, Whetstones. And uh, on the other side, it simply said this, is this Pastor Phil? I said, yes, it is. This is God. (laughs) I said, oh, well, how nice of you to call. How can I help you? And I think they were stunned. I don't think they expected me to respond that way. And so I heard on the other side of the line, I just heard, uh, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Click, that's all. (laughs) So that's it. That's the only call I've ever had from God. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to think maybe that wasn't really him. But uh, anyway, so if you've ever had a phone call from God, this is what it would be like. And as Malachi is the mouthpiece of the Lord, God is now having a very straight conversation with a people who are floundering in their walk and their relationship with the Lord. It's really interesting because they feel very distant from God. And I will oftentimes refer to, uh, in Malachi, I will refer to Israel as the church of Israel. Because I find so many common connections between what Israel experienced in the Old Testament and what oftentimes the church experiences. In fact, sometimes we act a lot like Israel. Like, for example, when God pours out his blessings, sometimes we forget that we really need him and we kind of drift and then we go through a hard time and we remember that we really need the Lord. Israel did that and that's kind of how we are sometimes. And sometimes uh, Israel, whenever they try to make a decision, they, they always wanted to take a vote. I said, man, that's just like a congregation church today. You know, we got to take a vote on everything. Let's vote, let's vote. And And sometimes uh, Israel would grumble a little bit and hate to say it, but sometimes as Christians, we grumble a little bit. And so there's a lot of similarities between the nation of Israel and what I would call the church of Jesus Christ even today. And so when we see God speaking to Israel, we can see God speaking to us today. And you're gonna find there are four spiritual conditions that the nation of Israel is experiencing in the book of Malachi. I'm gonna go through them really quick. Number one, they weren't experiencing or sensing God's love very much. It wasn't that God didn't love them. In fact, you'll notice what it says in chapter one, verse two, I have loved you, says the Lord. That little phrase, I have loved you, it's actually in the Hebrew form. Here's what it says. I have loved you in the past. I love you today. 
and I will always love you tomorrow. That's exactly, you could literally write that translation in there. That is what it is saying. I have loved you past, present, and future tense, which is really God's way of saying that my love for you isn't changing. And by the way, what a great word for all of us that are here today. You might be here today and you might feel really close to the Lord. And some of you might be here today and you might be feel very distant from the Lord. And some of you might be here today and you don't even acknowledge the Lord. You don't even believe in him. You might be here simply because somebody asked you to come to church and you're not even sure whether you believe in this whole thing of Jesus Christ. You're not even sure if you believe in this whole thing of God. And you came here because you heard the coffee was good. And that's why you're here today. And, and, and you're here as kind of a, as a friendship to somebody else. I'm going to say something that may just shock you. God loves you. And God loves you today. And he will not love you anymore tomorrow if you acknowledge him. And even if you start coming to Christ, and even if you start following him, he's not going to love you anymore. God loves you, period. And if you feel distant from the Lord, he doesn't love you any less. God loves perfectly. In fact, he says, I, the Lord, chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. God's character is perfect. His holiness is perfect. His love is perfect. His promises are perfect. He never changes. And for that, all of us should feel incredible. But they weren't feeling it. And that's what happens sometimes in our Christian life is that we don't feel, we're not experiencing, we're not enjoying, we're not relishing in God's love. Sometimes our kids will do that, right? Where we have to discipline them or we say no to something that they want and they'll look at us and they say, well, you don't love me. They don't feel very loved at that moment, but you know it as a parent that you love your kids. Sometimes you're disappointed, sometimes you're frustrated, but you love your kids perfectly and you're not gonna love them more or less. You just love them because they're yours and they're not experiencing God's love. That's spiritual condition, number one. Number two, they were beginning, well, it was more than that. They were finding their faith and their worship a burden. They were just going through the motions. They were worshiping God. They were, they were going into times of sacrifice. They were, they were doing the things that were necessary, but it was an obligation to them, not an enjoyment to them. Notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 10. It says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting sun and every place incense and pure offerings will be made to my name because my name will be great among the nations. You're gonna notice in Malachi, he's, uh, he's saying to them, uh, I am not exclusively yours. While, while you are mine, I am not yours. You don't, I don't belong to you and I want you to know my name will be made great among all the nations. He says it three times in chapter one which means people are gonna worship me everywhere because I am the God of the universe, not just the one exclusive God that you have in Israel. And notice what he says in verse 12. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food it is contemptible. You say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously says the Lord Almighty. That's the second spiritual condition. God says that when you come into a place of worship and you're offering your sacrifices and for the nation of Israel, the sacrificial system was the primary way of offering and worshiping the Lord. 
He says, when you come into a place of worship, you basically just say it's, it's kind of a burden. You're not finding joy. You're not coming with celebration. You're going through the motions of your faith and you're doing it out of a sense of obligation. That's spiritual condition number two. By the way, whether you've experienced them, you probably know someone who has. Not really sure God really loves me and I'm following the Lord out of obligation, not out of joy. Number three, the third spiritual condition that he found was that they didn't feel like God was listening to them. And there's a reason for it. God wasn't listening to them. Notice what he says in chapter two, verse 13. He says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. It wasn't that God wasn't listening or that God couldn't hear them, but what was happening was God was not honoring their prayers because they were not honoring God with their lives. Now, this is an incredible truth that we need to understand. Uh, I'm gonna give you a background passage, um, Isaiah 58. It may be in your notes. Read it later or read it while I'm talking. I guess you could do that as well. But in Isaiah 58, it's a beautiful passage about fasting. Fasting is a spiritual, uh, a spiritual uh, discipline whereby we give something up in order as a sacrifice to God to come to him in prayer. So most often when people sacrifice something, they're sacrificing food, right? We fast from food. You can fast from a lot of things. Um, you can fast from, um, uh, from chocolate. You can fast from television. Whew. I did that one time for Lent. That was tough. <laughs> I got to admit, that was a tough one. But you can fast from uh, all kinds of stuff. I personally, uh, I, I like to fast from um, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> now you're laughing, right? Because you're saying, well, that's not much of a fast, right? My wife loves Brussels sprouts. I, I can eat them, but I don't, not because I have to, or kind of because I have to, I suppose. But I don't really like Brussels sprouts, so that's not really much of a fast, is it? But that's what they were doing. In fact, in Isaiah 58, he says, now you fast and then you can't figure out why God doesn't answer your prayer. But he said, on the very day that you fast, your, 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 your um, uh, disloyal to your employees. And you're taking advantage of people and you're, and you're in your business dealings, you're corrupt. He says, you come to me and you're fasting, but over here on the very same day, you're dishonoring me. He says, I don't, I don't pay attention to that kind of fasting. Well, that's what's happening to Malachi. Malachi, they're crying out to God in one way, but they're dishonoring him with their whole lives. And he says, listen, I... I I'm not hearing you because your life is putting you in a position where the first thing you need to worry about is not asking me for something. The first thing you ought to ask me is simply to come, for you to come back near to me again. Spiritual condition number three. They weren't experiencing God's love. Their faith and their worship was a burden to them. 
They didn't feel like God was answering their prayers. And, and then number four, they kind of felt like God was just a waste of time. Notice what it says here in chapter 3, verse 14. You have said it is futile to serve God. Now, I wonder if you've ever felt that way or you've ever said that. I mean, sometimes it feels like, man, I'm doing all this. I'm following the Lord. This just doesn't seem worth it. It just doesn't seem worth it. And he said, your spiritual condition, the condition that you're in, Church of Israel, the condition that you're experiencing is you aren't feeling, you're not experiencing my love. Your, your worship is a burden to you. It's obligation. You don't feel like you're having an impact through your prayer life. And you kind of feel like worshiping the Lord is just kind of a waste of time. Now, I'm not asking you if you feel that way today, but I really wonder if you've ever felt that way because I know a lot of people who have. What causes that? I mean, that's a depressed spirit uh, uh, spiritually. What causes that? Well, in Israel, there were four major, I'm gonna cause them causal factors that got them to where they are. You ever, you ever do that? How did I get where I am today? How did I get where I'm feeling today? Um, if you've ever been stuck, uh, I, a couple of years ago, I was out with uh, a guy from our church, it was Pastor Ryan, in fact, when Ryan was our creative arts director, and uh, we were back at uh, a, a family at our church's house. We were back there uh, shooting some guns and stuff, and so I took my truck, and I drove it back down into the field, and I took it across a little creek, and I, I, it looked fine to drive drive on and as I drove um, it, I started to feel a sinking sensation in the back of the uh, in the back of the uh, uh, tires and I looked back and I could see mud starting I'm going oh man we're in trouble so instead of stopping and immediately trying to get out I went a little bit further and I really started to sink and I thought to myself we're not getting out of here and so I tried to back out couldn't back out immediately my back tires just went and I went under into the dirt into the mud and I've been stuck enough times. Any of you have ever been stuck? I've been stuck enough times to know when I'm stuck beyond my ability to get myself out. Ryan had all these great ideas of how he thought he could get us out of there. Didn't work, just got stuck worse. And so I uh, took my phone, gave a call to the farmer's son. I said, hey, I'm stuck. I'm back here and I ain't getting out without a tractor. And so he drove back with his little tractor and I could tell when he, when he got back there, he just started smiling at me and, and he got off and he said, how in the world did you get here? And I'm thinking, how did I get like this? Sometimes spiritually, we can't figure out how we got to where we're at. Well, Israel had four things. Number one, the first thing is that they were giving God less than their best spiritually the results the conditions they found themselves in came because they were offering God the less than their best notice what it says here in chapter one it says um, it says you place defiled food on my altar now you may not think that's a very big deal but when God gave instructions for the nation of Israel to come and to to worship him God always put a really high priority on bringing the best that you have. Bring, bring the best. Bring something without blemish. Bring something of high quality. Bring some, now, why? Because God desires to be honored 
in worship. It's hard for us sometimes to translate that into our lives today, but let me ask this question. Are you giving God the best you have or do you give him the leftovers? I don't know how many of you are married. Raise your hand real quick if you're married, yeah. How many of you are dating? Raise your hand if you're dating, okay? And some of you are engaged and you're somewhere in between. I'm gonna talk to the guys out there. Hey guys, hardest question you ever, no, this is the easiest question you'll ever get from me. How many of you do you think your wife, your girlfriend, your fiance would feel really loved on if you gave them time and you basically said it this way, I'll come over and see you if I have time. Man, that was the quickest response I think I've ever had before. Why? Now, for some of you who don't have anybody to date, I'm gonna give you a secret. No woman wants to feel like a leftover. When scripture tells us that we're to cherish our wives, uh, Ephesians chapter five, let me tell you, leftover doesn't feel very cherished. Hey, I'll see if I have time. I'll, I'll talk to you if I feel like it. I'll make time for you if there's enough time left over. Nobody wants to feel like a leftover. They want to know that you are the apple of your eye. They want to know that you are the, the shine, the twinkle. They want to know that. In fact, Tammy, it's really interesting. Tammy sees my schedule on my calendar. She has full access to basically my whole life. She can see everything. And nothing feels better to Tammy than when she knows I'm really, really busy. And she'll see these words in my calendar, Tammy time. Or if I want to be secretive and I don't want my assistant to see it, important, important appointment. But Tammy knows that's her time. Or if somebody calls me and say, hey, would you guys like to do this? And I said, no, I've got plans for that night. And my plans, Tammy know, are her time. Why? Because I have placed Tammy above every other need that's out there. I've placed Tammy above the urgent. I have placed Tammy above myself. I have placed her first. And if you like to feel that way, then you understand how God feels. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your expression of faith, when it comes to your worship, God says, Israel, you're giving me leftovers and I don't like leftovers. Interesting, um, in the story of Cain and Abel in uh, Genesis chapter four, we see that Cain uh, kills Abel, his brother, I always say with the leg of a table, that's how I remember it. Cain killed Abel with the leg of a table. It doesn't say he used the table leg, but it, I don't think it says he didn't, so maybe he did. But it's really interesting, everybody thinks that Cain's offering that he brought to the Lord wasn't received because uh, it wasn't an animal. And I don't believe that because that's not how God judges. In fact, the, the God even makes sacrifices in the book of Leviticus that are called grain offerings. And so God obviously isn't opposed to grain. And there's bread offerings. The difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering is that it says in the course of due time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the land. Abel, it says in direct opposition, brought fat portions of the firstborn. 
Firstborn always meant the best. It was the first. It was priority. It was the priority. God got it first and God got the best. And you may say, well, that, that seems kind of uh, arrogant of the Lord. It's not arrogant of the Lord. He's God and he just simply wants the best that we have. He doesn't tell you to have what you don't have. He just says what you do have, just bring your best and he'll accept it. Number two. The second condition that they, or the second cause was that there was a tarnished leadership. And when I say that there was a tarnished leadership, it was in the nation, it was in the church, and it was in the family. Now, look what he says to them. He says this, he says, but you have turned, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, but he says, but you have turned from the way, and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble. Those who were in leadership were teaching in such a way as in, instead of bringing people closer to the Lord, people were drifting away from the Lord. And it didn't matter if it was a priest. It didn't matter if it was the leader of the nation or even if it was the home. It's interesting in this passage, the Lord begins to speak about divorce and he says, I hate divorce. But then he says something really interesting. And I hate a man covering himself in violence. Now you ponder that for a little bit. The one who was the leader of the home, the one who was supposed to give spiritual leadership in the house, the one who was supposed to be the protector and the shepherd was not protecting or shepherding. And God says that as a leadership goes, whether it be in a nation or whether it be in a church, or whether it be in a home, that as leadership goes, it will have spiritual consequences on your lives. And Israel wasn't doing a very good job of it. That's the second cause. First one was, they gave God the leftovers. Second one was, they had a tarnished leadership. The third one was simply this, they were a culture of broken promises. They were breaking promises to each other. They were breaking promises to God. They were even breaking promises within their marriage covenant. He talks about promises a lot in the book of Malachi. Notice what he says. He says, you flood, uh, chapter two, verse 10, he says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands and you ask why it's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her broken faith broken faith say that phrase with me broken faith the Lord uses that phrase in the book of Malachi to help them understand you're breaking your word and you may think it's not that big of a deal. But God says, but you understand, I, the Lord your God, do not change. When I make promises, I keep my promises. So when my people break their word, it's reflecting very poorly on the Lord. So he says, I want you to keep your word. And then number four, I didn't say this, the Lord said it. They were stealing from God. He calls them robbers. But you ask, how are we to return? He says, will a man rob from God and yet you rob from me? 
Lord had given very specific instruction to the nation of Israel as to how they were to give to the Lord, and he said, it belongs to me. And so when you're not giving to me what belongs to me, by the way, whether it be finances, which he's talking about, or whether it be priority, or whether it be worship, or whether it be first place, or whether it be surrender, when the Lord says something belongs to me and I withhold it from him, I'm robbing. And those were essentially the four causes of the spiritual reality they found themselves in. They felt distant from God. They didn't feel like they were very close. They didn't feel like he really loved them. They didn't sense that they were having much impact through their prayer life. They kind of felt like it was kind of worthless. But the reason for it was not because God had done anything. They were simply reaping the consequences of their choices. Hear what I'm saying here. I know a lot of times people say, well, the Lord's punishing, the Lord's punishing, the Lord's punishing. Do you know I find in Scripture is that God's not breaking us. We break ourselves. God says, this is the path that I have for you. And when you walk outside that path, there are consequences. And so what is it one person said? God doesn't break us. We break ourselves against his laws when we step outside the boundaries he has for us. It's simple consequences. That'd be like my parents, me getting mad at my parents because they told me not to cross the fence and I cross the fence and I have a bull come after me. Well, my parents didn't do anything. They just simply said, don't cross the fence. Does that make sense? Now I know I look at things differently You see, I believe I'm looking at things very biblically. And here's why. Go to chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to close it up. Because you're going to see the God of promise here. You're going to see the God of love. You're going to see the God of invitation in chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I'm keeping my promises. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. Here's the invitation. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me, and I will return to you. Say that with me. Return to me, and I will return to you. Very simple. God says you're walking this direction. The word return, here's what it means. God says you're walking in the wrong direction. Turn around, and I promise you'll find me. You see, what we often think is distance from God. I feel so distant. I feel like God is so far away. I feel like he's so distant. It's not an issue of distance. It's an issue of direction. If you just turn around, you'll see his smile. You'll see his open arms. 
The issue of the prodigal son wasn't the distance. It was the direction. As soon as he turned his face toward home, dad was there. That's the book of Malachi. It's not an accusation. It's not an accusation of our nation or our county or our state or our church or even your life. It's not an accusation. It's an invitation. That's why God says, if my people, why? Because it always begins with God's people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. God's not waiting for every other person. God just wants believers to live as believers. And he'll change a nation. He'll heal a land. That's God's invitation for our lives. Father, thank you. Thanks for your word. Thank you for your direct talk. I admit it, Lord. Sometimes I'm kind of hard to get through to. And so I just need somebody to speak to me very directly. Lord, you're speaking very clearly today. I wonder if there's something that resonated within your heart, within your own soul today as we talked about maybe the condition of Israel or even some of the causes. And I wonder if today you might not say, Lord, I just want to turn toward you. I promise you he is waiting. I promise you he has open arms. And I promise you you'll see his smile when you turn toward his face. Thank you, Lord. Love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.